the podcast Leadership Forum, conversation with leaders who serve the public good. My name is Trevor Brown, and I'm privileged to serve as Dean of the John Glenn College of Public Affairs at The Ohio State University, where we aspire to fulfill a simple phrase that Senator John Glenn used to describe what we do, inspire citizenship and develop leadership. I also have the honor of serving as the host of this conversation series. So welcome to a thoughtful and reflective conversation about leadership. My guest today is Mo Wright, president and founder of Rama Consulting Incorporated, a performance management consulting firm specializing in strategic planning, stakeholder engagement, and employee development. Mo also is the leader of Milan Development LLC, which provides capacity building and support services to small and minority businesses. Mo serves on several community boards and committees, including Huntington Bank's Business Advisory Committee. He serves as the chairman of the Columbus Metropolitan Club, the planning and investment chair for the the United Way's Board of Trustees, and vice chair of the City of Columbus's Recreation and Parks Commission. Finally, Mo is also the co-executive director of the African American Leadership Academy. The Academy's mission is to increase the number of Central Ohio's African American leaders and broaden its awareness of a wider pool of capable and civic-minded African-American professionals. Mo, welcome to our podcast, and thank you for joining me for a conversation about leadership and civic engagement in the public sector. Hey, thank you for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Let's start by just talking about today's workforce. Um, And, you know, you can interpret workforce broadly. We're primarily interested here in the public sector, but even there, we interpret that broadly as public organizations, nonprofits, et cetera. What, what do you see as the primary challenges facing the workforce today? You know, there's there's so many, and I think some of them are micro level and some of them are macro. I mean, we saw in January, you know, for example, big tech, huge layoffs there. We localized it back to Columbus. We saw a number of layoffs in the financial services arena. And I think that's certainly based on the economy and where many believe we're headed in terms of the the, the big R word. Uh, but beyond that, I think um, just making sure that workers are being productive while still trying to navigate things like remote and hybrid work environments. Even in our own company, we had several stops and starts around if everybody was completely remote, uh, if there was a hybrid environment. And I think organizations are trying to figure that out. And you see some organizations actually saying, no, we want everybody back in the office. So just trying to figure that out, engage your people in a way that makes sense, I think is is one of the challenges that folks are trying to do uh, to deal with and having to do it while you still have the demands of um, being productive, a lot of supply chain issues that are adding to the pressure of organization to get things done, I think are playing out. And then I think we'll, you know, 2020 taught us so much in terms of who we were as a nation. Uh, we've had several other examples since then, but looking at um, diversity, equity and inclusion, and what does equity really mean in our workplaces and how is it playing out is a huge challenge that many organizations are ha- uh, having to navigate. We've gotten many calls from organizations saying we need a strategy here. Um, we've done some things and we're not seeing the impact we want. And so all those things are playing out um, into contemporary challenges. But how do you tool a workplace for this new normal that um, was it's post-COVID, but it's also po- post-George Floyd and a number of other uh, post-insurrection, post a lot of things. And so there's an evolution of the workforce and an evolution of the workplace and trying to align those things is, is pretty challenging right now. 
Yeah, it's it's funny you said we all fear the R word, and and I knew what you meant given what you said before, which was recession. But then you yeah. immediately jo- jumped into remote work, mm-hmm. and uh, those are two R's that that leaders yeah, are challenged with right now. Um, but but overall, I thought you did a great job of describing what what I, I know many organizations are struggling with. It's just a high degree of uncertainty and and mm-hmm. trying to figure out in any one situation what what should I focus on as a leader. So, so tell us how how do how do you guide leaders in the public and nonprofit sector to rise to these challenges? How do you help them prioritize and identify where they should focus, and, and what have you learned about what strategies are effective? Well, you know, fundamentally, I think regardless of where you are serving, there's a few in my mind universals. Um, I, I like to think that everyone who goes to work in a public sector organization, not a nonprofit government agency, any of those things, first of all, I hope it's going to work with a servant leader's mentality. And, you know, I often reflect in the work of Robert Greenleaf, who was kind of the, the father of this uh, servant leadership research and, and, and data. And he talks about, he lays out, certainly his book, a lot of qualities of, of servant leaders. I do think, though, in terms of wh- how we're seeing and helping leaders, it's really about helping folks to understand three things. What do I really want? is fundamental. Um, and I use the word really because we want a lot of things, but when we bullet down uh, and really challenge leaders to get intentional about um, living their life by design and not by default is what we call it in the Leadership Academy. But what do I really want? Number two is why do I want it? Uh, and so really getting clear about why do I want, is it a role? Is it a salary? Is it a quality of life issue? Is it I want to work in a certain environment, but why do I really want it? And then thirdly, what am I willing to do to get it? And, you know, it, it, we, we talk to young people sometimes and they say, well, yeah, I want to be CEO of a Fortune 500 uh, company. We say, oh, that's great. And when you get to that question about what are you willing to do to get it, we might have to say to them, well, that means you're probably going to move nine times and three of those assignments might be international and the faces change. Um, you know, I don't know. I really want to make that level of sacrifice. And so I think all leaders right now having to get real clear about what they want. I think a part of the great resignation we saw was the individuals um, questioning if they were in the right roles, doing the right things, having the right level of impact. And we saw people you know, really vote with their feet to move out of organizations they had been a part of for years, decide not to return to the workforce. And many of them decided they wanted to pursue things like entrepreneurship on their own. So I think all that's playing out, but I do think, um, you know, in my mind, you know, there's a whole lot of other strategies that could be used, but I think helping leaders to get clear on those three questions, uh, what do I really want, why do I want it, and what am I willing to do to get it still, to me, is an age-old um, opportunity for folks to get better. So that that's a know thyself starting point, right? Like, Absolutely. as a leader, I, I need to yeah. figure out who I yeah. am, what motivates me, and, and what I'm willing to do to, to achieve it. Yep. But let's say I figure that out. Let's say I, I, I resolve those questions, hopefully with your good assistance. Now, now I'm looking at a workforce, particularly in the, the nonprofit and public sector, where, you know, with inflation running rampant, you got you got people leaving um, in, in large numbers because of the aging of the workforce in some mm-hmm. cases. Let's say I, I've decided I'm inspired by the mission of this, this organization and, and I want to I want to make a difference and I'm willing to make some sacrifice. What what guidance do you have for leaders about how to translate that passion down to their their workforce, which may be increasingly ambivalent? Yeah, my sense is that folks still watch leaders, um, both formally and informally. So I think leadership behaviors yep. matter. I also think that um 
as individuals model the way other folks are, are more likely to emulate uh, what they're seeing, at least the good behaviors of what they're seeing. But I also think, you know, which organizations today, you know, in my mind have to be focused on building what I call A-list players, right? And in my mind, A-list players want to be measured. They want to understand what's required of me, what's going to make our organization successful, and how do I rise to that occasion? And so I think gone are the days of really directive leadership where folks are being asked to do A and B every day and you're being given all the, 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 the direction to do it. I think today what folks are doing is, is really agreeing on, on large-scale objectives, agreeing on how the work should be done from a cultural perspective, and then letting folks use their creativity and, and even their work style uh, to come into that uh, organization and be much more successful than being directed. And so I think that's playing out a little bit too in terms of what we're seeing um, uh, with, with leaders as well. Yeah, talk a little bit. That's more of a sort of a, a coaching style rather mm -hmm. than, uh, you know, running a, a plug and play of like, yeah, as you say, do this, do that, do this. Um, I, I could imagine that that many leaders of, you know, sort of our generation and, and before were just much more comfortable with with saying, here are the five steps you need to do. Whereas whereas now, as you say, it's it's like, here's the target. Um, let me help you get there. If I'm the more directive leader, I'm comfortable sort of mm. saying, you know, here's how you here's how you make the hamburger. Here's yeah. step one. Here's step two. Here's step three. Whereas now the problems we face are shifting. They're they're multiple. How how do I coach people rather than direct them? Yeah, I think you know it's less about you know how to do something today and um, really this generation of workers. Uh, want to understand why we are doing certain things so the rationale becomes really important helping folks to buy into the the north star of many organizations and teams is going to be important because if i really understand what your outcome is um, then i understand how to self-police my own behavior in order to help you you to be successful and so i think a lot of individuals are at a place now where they want to make sure they understand they buy into the concept and the culture of what organizations are doing, but they want the flexibility and the creativity to be able to do it themselves. And so I think what leaders have to do in that case is really tap into what motivates their individual employees, what kinds of assignments are considered stretches for those employees and really make sure that year to year, they're giving folks opportunities to display a different part of their leadership than just the, the, the mundane daily tasks that they might do. And I think that's important when you have, when you think about government organizations, for example, who oftentimes are, charged uh, to do the same thing each and every day, right? How do you add creativity uh, and innovation to those environments becomes a behavior of the leaders. And so I go back to believing that many leaders uh, have to see that behavior modeled in the, the folks that, that they are following. And they have to see that there's some benefit and some uh, actual reward for that type of thinking in the organization. So one of the behaviors of, of leaders of teams like that, you, you wanna be recognizing that effort. Doesn't have to be always pay or uh, big awards ceremonies, but you do want to make sure you are calling out and being supportive of individuals who are going the extra mile to think about things different or to bring about a different outcome through a different strategy. The more people see you actually reinforcing that behavior, the more they will get themselves in line with understanding how to add more value. Love it. So, you know, first walk the talk, you got you to model it and then yeah. celebrate it, right? Yeah, celebrate absolutely. it when you see it in others. What, what are some other... What are some other strategies and tools that you've seen that are effective to try and create that culture of, of mission focus? Um, so it starts with the leader, 
and then celebrate the employees that do it. Are there other tools that, that leaders in the public and nonprofit sector can draw on to try and keep that, create that culture of, of commitment to mission? Yeah, I think there's a number of things. About, you know, about nine years ago, I kind of sat down and really um, observed uh, what am I seeing in leaders that is consistent that I believe are the behaviors. And I talk about behaviors a lot because in organizations, I remind leaders that people can't judge your intentions. They only see what happened, right? They have no idea really why it happened. And oftentimes people make up their own narratives about why things are the way they are. So I ask leaders to really focus on what am I doing, uh, not what my intentions are, not what am I saying, but what am I doing yeah. that that folks around me can really observe. So, so in my mind, there's a number of behaviors. One is I think that leaders are emotionally intelligent. Uh, and that's this notion of I have um, uh, understanding and uh, license over my own uh, emotions and the emotions of others, and I can manage those effectively. And so knowing that, you know, if a team member is down for a number of reasons, how do you not add to that stress by, you know, adding a new assignment today, uh, making sure you keep your, your, your hand on the pulse of your people is going to be important to that. Understanding when the team is fatigued or when yep. folks need a break and need, we need to kind of shut it down for a day. We do that at Raymond where we have these periods of, of high volume and it just say, hey, we're going to take Friday off and this is going to be a closure because we recognize uh, what we're seeing in our people. So emotional intelligence is a huge one. I yep. say that leaders have to be both um, microscope and telescope focused. I think good leaders in this uh, generation of organization means you've got to be able to get into the, to the details and down to that microscopic level, understanding what's driving the numbers, understanding the KPIs, understanding what is behind those KPIs. But at the same time, I think good leaders have got to be able to keep their eyes on the horizon. And that's that telescope focus. Can you look beyond the trees and really see what's coming? Can you skate where the puck is going? Can you um, anticipate large scale organizational shifts you know, I wish that some of us were um, good enough to predict what was going to happen with COVID. But what we <laughs> saw there is uh, a year or two years of people having to figure it out. And the good thing I think that came out of that is we did things in terms of how we deliver education, how we deliver social services, how um, individuals and teams connect during that two years um, that we never thought was possible. And so imagine taking a, if you think about Columbus, a school district with over 50,000 kids online and keeping them in the educational process. Uh, and so I think what it did was it, it allowed the public sector to be forced to think about some things differently than they uh, never had to. And yeah. now that level of innovation we think can continue if folks are intentional about thinking about what could happen. So I look at it like this, if, if I'm uh, in a car and, and I have my seat too low, I lose a certain level of horizon on the car, but, but my, my goal as a leader has to always be able to ask, you know, what balls might be rolling to the street in front of me, right? And can I anticipate those balls coming out before they're up and, and about to do harm? I think that's the same charge of most leaders today is being able to anticipate what those balls could be rolling in front of the car without me seeing them. So let, let's shift, thanks for thanks for that, that loved all those metaphors. Um, very clear thinking about how we, how we should operate and behave and aspire as leaders. Let, let's talk about the African-American Leadership Academy. Tell, tell us a little bit about it, its goals. And, and you know, I know broadly you wanna increase the number of, of um, African-American leaders here in central Ohio. What, what are some of the challenges faced there? And, and what are some of the steps that, that we need to take as a community to, to um, increase the, the total number of, of leaders in, uh, among us? 
Yeah, the academy was started, it, we're coming up on now about 20 years ago, and it really was the leadership of some local leaders, uh, Larry and Donna James, Yvette McGee Brown, former Supreme Court Justice, uh, Janet Jackson at the time, who was at United, president of United Way, Don Vickers, who was at the Academy for Leadership and Governance. They really came together and said, you know, quite honestly, we are the only African-American leaders who get the calls when corporate America um, or individuals in our community want to have African-American representation, the five, six people I just named are the people who get the calls. And what they said was, we know there's a number of talented African-American individuals who could be uh, equally as in, in invested and engaged if they were given opportunities. So it started them down this pathway to say, how do we develop an academy model where we take folks through a fellowship experience uh, annually where they can learn the, the skills they need to be effective in the roles they're in or to get to their next. And at the same time, develop a sense of community so that African-American leaders uh, understand who the other leaders in the community are. They understand how to work together and they have a sense of, of, of collaboration. And so that was the vision 18 years ago. Today, the program, we graduate between 20 and 40 individuals a year uh, going through the curriculum. It's a 10 month uh, leadership fellowship experience. It's at no cost to the uh, individuals. Uh, why is that? Well, what we know is historically, people of color have not been given opportunities for leadership development within the organization at the same rate as their white counterparts. And so the program was designed to make sure that money was never an impediment to folks getting the kind of development they need. Uh, we all, so we're sponsorship-based. We have a number of corporations and organizations who support us, um, who all believe that there is a need to have strong African-American leaders in our community and that there is a good thing in developing leaders from a cultural-based perspective. So what do we do? We talk about the traditional leadership strategies, things like influence and strategies, things like the power of the message in terms of what are those things early on that mom and grandma told you that are playing out in terms of how you lead and show up? Uh, how do you get out of your own way? Um, how do you think about value-added connections and uh, how to grow those? And in doing that, what we found is leaders um, really develop a level of confidence that's really unprecedented and they just start to take off. So they leave our program and they get engaged in all kinds of, uh, of in individual and, and professional endeavors that really kind of further our community. And that's really the give back is that these individuals mostly stay in Central Ohio, they're leading in Central Ohio, and it really is kind of a who's who of Black Columbus when it comes to uh, the leadership arena have gone through our program. But our mission is to increase the availability so that no one's able to say, I don't know where there are yep. talented leaders of color. Uh, we wanna make sure there's always an answer to that question. So you're, you're building that pipeline. Absolutely. Um, and and uh, now I want to turn to you and, and learn more about your leadership journey. And we could start by you are now the you sort of co-chairing this, but you're a graduate um, of this this program. Yeah. What what drove you to to want to enter the program? And, and what did you learn through through that experience? Yeah, you know, it was a uh, I actually was tapped to participate in the second class. So I was that was probably you know 18 years ago um, or so very early in my entrepreneurial journey, um, but it's so funny that I remember some of the sessions and some of the things I said and to see those things actually having uh, come true in terms of what I wanted for my own leadership and service in the community is actually uh, pretty awesome. Uh, for me though, you know, the biggest piece was, I think learning that uh, leadership challenges are not unique, that many of us are, are experiencing the same things. When you look, when you're able to share a learning experience alongside uh, other African-American individuals who are in, in similar roles, 
you understand the the kindred spirit that starts to emerge from that. Um, you develop a, a network and support system to um, to make sure individuals are able to lean on one another when they're when needed. But it's also just the network, right? I think you know being able to have and pick up the phone and call some of our community's most influential leaders, and they understand and know who we are, uh, and are able to assist and to, to to be of service. I think is a is a huge thing. You know, other things, you know, I, I get a chance to sit in on the classes uh, as, as the executive director now. And so I learn along again, along yeah. with all the other yep. uh, graduates. Our curriculum has changed quite a bit uh, over the years, but the same basic tenets are how do we take uh, black leaders who are already super, super uh, bad. Uh, we use that in a good way, but super bad leaders <laughs> and make them make them even better. And so uh, that is the, really the work we're doing. And I'm just honored to, to be a part of it. Thank you for that service. And, and thank you also as someone in the higher ed community for highlighting how we're always students, even when we're even when we're in leadership roles. Oh, yeah. I appreciate you saying that one of your pleasures is sitting in on the classes, even though you're a graduate and presumably been involved in the design and delivery of what came after, and yet you still learn things. I feel that same way here in, in being in higher ed. I'm, 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 every day is an opportunity to, to learn something and I try to apply it as a leader. One, yeah. one thing you said when you were describing the curriculum um, was, you know, one of the things you try to encourage people to do is learn how to get out of their own way. Yeah. Um, well, you know, just describe to us what that means. And if, if you're be willing, could you give an example of where you've witnessed somebody have to get out of their way or, or your own personal experience getting out of your yeah. own way? Yeah, you know, in, in the academy, we do quite a bit of um, strength-based kind of leadership assessment, right, which really gets folks to understand who they are from uh, what, you know, what their style is from a leadership perspective, what kinds of strengths they, uh, they innately have. And I think in doing that, um, one of the things, you know, we talk about, though, is that any strength overuse is a weakness. And so it's great that, you know, Mo, for example, if you look, look at the DISC, uh, program in terms of behaviors. I am a high D and a high C, which means I am super detail oriented. And I also am I'm very results oriented, meaning I always want to get to an, an outcome. What does that mean for me? That means that in, in leading my team, I tend to push for results and I tend to want things done yesterday, whether it's possible or not. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with being a driver until you come off as the overbearing boss or you're burning your yes. people out and they don't um, get the breaks they need. Or you're, you're, you're seeing that because I'm, I'm so direct in my style, uh, it comes off as a little aggressive for folks around me. And I had to learn that um, in leading my own company that um, the way, my strengths are great in terms of driving the business, but how do I nuance them and massage them in a way that they actually work for my people was a, a learning opportunity for me. And that's really the journey we're on. And I think yep. the only way you, you do that is get in the laboratory where one, you understand how am I showing up? So get asking and seeking feedback is a huge thing. Uh, and from folks who will tell you the truth, not what you want to hear is the other part of that. Um, you know, if I'm facilitating the meeting or how do I show up, I want to get some real life critique on how am I doing? Um, how is this curriculum going over? Things like that. And if people won't tell me the truth, then it's not valuable. And so I yeah. think really, I, I tell people all the time that part of your circle has to be the folks that you have a healthy respect for who will absolutely be brutally honest with you. Um, yeah. If it, I'm going back to my, my Glenn College days, it'd be going back to Jim Collins and confronting the brutal facts is one of the things we have to do for ourselves as yep. well uh, along the way. And so I think that's a huge piece uh, for me. It's been that self-awareness, constantly asking myself, um, how am I showing up? How do other people see me? Getting that validation from others um, uh, outside of myself and then 
actually doing the work of figuring out if there's a gap between how I want to be perceived and what I'm, what's showing up, what then our strategies to be able to move that needle. Um, that's intentional work that we all stay focused on. Great. So one of the other lessons of leadership is there's no one pathway. There are multiple types of leaders and it's often contingent on context and everybody's journey is their own, own journey. Yes. Um, and, but there's this sort of debate about what, whether to be focused um, you know, on a single endeavor as a leader, that's where you can make the most difference is really burrow in and say, this is my pathway and here's the organization or the mission I'm going to serve. Uh, or you pursue an array of, of opportunities that are potentially related, and um, um, but they're distinct. You know, I'm going to start this business, then I'm going to go work in this community organization, et cetera. Um, yeah. you, you seem to have pursued, as I look at your dazzling resume, and um, the, the, the latter, um, which is you've pursued a remarkable array of, of different endeavors. I'd just be curious, what's driven you to be so not differentiated. There's a clear connection between all the the thing, but where where do you get the energy and and where where just sort of strategically in your mind did you say I'm not going to just do this thing. I'm not just going to start Rama Consulting and that's my thing. I'm going to do all this stuff. What what was the strategy and the thinking? You know, you know, Trevor. I think it's evolved, right? I think when I started, it was you know everything goes back to me today and then to what do you want as an outcome? And if you start with what I want as an outcome it gives you a level of clarity, I think, for everything that you do. And it gives you some rationale about why you're doing the, the work when you don't want to do it in the middle of it anymore. Uh, so I think what do you want as the outcome was huge. And so for me, it was never about get, getting to do one thing. It was much more about, I want to be what I call opportunity ready. So that means that if I start a business, um, I want to be in a position that if there is a cool project that I want to take on, I want to work on, I have a company in the infrastructure to be able to do that. Or um, financially, uh, as an entrepreneur, it's I want to be in a position that if there were other opportunities for me to develop revenue streams or diversify what we're doing from a revenue perspective, I'm opportunity ready. And so that's really, I think, been my goal is to make sure that I'm always in a position to, if a good idea or a good opportunity comes across my desk, I'm able to seize that opportunity uh, as quickly as possible. So that's really, I think, the, the game I'm playing is, is about, you know, some of it could just be, I get bored easily. That might be the other thing. And I need to do something different. Uh, that, that's a piece of the equation as well. So I won't discount that. But I, I do think, you know, having, and I, I say that in jest, but at the same time, I do think we are seeing a new new generations of students, particularly, and, and, and younger workers who are, you know, very much bored in traditional settings and the way they have been designed. And yeah. so we talked earlier about, you know, what organizations and leaders have to do. Part of that, I believe, is tooling in the organization where you can keep the variety um, that individuals are looking for in this generation. So they wanna stay a part of the team. And so I'm having to do that as well. Um, you know, How do you really maximize special assignments and stretch kinds of projects so individuals get a different level of their uh, skill set developed? Those things have to be intentional, but I, I think we're gonna need to do more of that if we're really gonna keep this generation engaged. And let's face it, because of where the workforce is, uh, we need folks at work, working within all kinds of organizations. And so those organizations have got to be tools to be able to uh, uh, actually be attractive to that same talent. So I'm, I'm thrilled that we're going this direction because here's another area of overlap. You, you shared with me when we talked before this that you had the privilege of being able to take a break. Um, you got to take a sabbatical. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to speak with uh, the two sides of my mouth here. One is I think 
I'm of the generation that that was sort of uh, of the mind that you just work. You just keep yeah. grinding. You just keep going. But then the other side of my mouth is I have the great privilege of being in higher ed where sabbaticals time away is very much a part of the, the sort of journey of, of re-energizing and introducing you to new ideas and, and, and starting new lines of, of work. So I've, I've gotten the privilege of having it both ways. Um, but just to your same point about you know, this generation isn't necessarily going to want to be focused on one thing. Talk a little bit about taking a break and its value. <laughs> oh, man, I, I, I can't underscore the importance of it. There was a point, we'll be 20 years as a company this year, and there was a point at about nine years in where I was completely burned out. And it was because um, the, the same messages I had received and bought into it as you did, which was you grind, you work hard, you keep grinding until you can get to a point where you can take a break. Well, the reality is the work never stops and the oh. needs never go away. And so oh. you find yourself for uh, sometimes decades on the grind, yeah, taking an occasional trip here, there and having, you know, some, some joy along the way, but never really truly unplugging. And, you know, one of the things I do, as you know, is I love to travel the world. And, and as we do that and we spend more time in Europe and in other continents, what we see is a much uh, more appreciation for downtime. And we see folks that actually take, you know, most of the, in the most of the world, they call it a holiday, but truly take time. And so I, it's funny, every time I'm in Europe and I'm talking to the folks that we meet and they're like, how long are you here? And we say, oh, five days, six days. They're like, oh, so short. And we're like, hey, that's a whole week of work. What do you mean, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, because the mentality is so different where, you know, American um, value and culture, I think it says that you have to grind. And for that grind, you get a little bit of time to yourself, right? Where I think other cultures have embraced you know, I don't like work-life balance. I think that's a myth, but, you know, work-life integration in a much different way. Yeah. And they, they've learned to do that with a level of intentionality that I wish would really permeate um, American culture. Case in point, you know, in, in my last team meeting of the year, uh, I, met, I was meeting with my team and I asked a question. We were talking about PTO policy because quite frankly, what I was looking at was going to an unlimited PTO policy, um, pay time off. Yep. And so yep. uh, in, in doing that, I looked at some of the research and what the research basically says is that people love the idea of working at a company where there is um, unlimited time off. They rarely really take advantage of it. Yep. And so it's, but it's more about the mentality and the message it sends to your people, right? And, and they also talked about ways to tier it for um, different uh, levels of your organization to make it make sense. So I asked the question in the meeting, I asked, you know, how many of you have, have taken your MAC time? This was December. So, you know, we're on an annual basis and, and, and nobody had. Yeah. Uh, taking the time off in the year. Now, here I am, fresh back from sabbatical, five, six weeks off. Uh, so I'm asking all these new questions. But what it reminded me of is, I said to everybody right now, I don't want you to have another year where you're not right up to the max at, at PTO. I'd much rather you be having to ask us about special considerations of being off longer than we do. And we have structured policies for it based on, on tenure. But I just don't like the idea of folks grinding and burning because I know what that can do to you. And over time, it actually demotivates you. It makes you less clear. It makes you less productive. Uh, and, and it's not good for anybody, the organization or you. So I'm a big proponent of take the time you need. Sometimes that's not just a week. Sometimes that's a whole different immersive um, experience in a different culture to get away from everything you know to be work. And it's, it's valuable. Well, Mo, that's a, that's a good place to wrap up our conversation. And thank you for taking time from, from your busy life to, to talk Absolutely. with me and to, to reflect on what makes for effective leadership in this dynamic um, and uncertain environment that we're in today. 
Uh, and fundamentally, thank you, thank you for your continued service to um, the public sector, to the nonprofit sector, and um, Central Ohio and its and its leadership core, particularly its leadership core of color. So thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me.